Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. I'm Brina Garen, and you're listening to Hex Positive. Welcome, witches. This is episode 17 of Hex Positive. I'm your host, Brina Garen, and today we are delving into a topic that is near and dear to my wicked little heart, something that anyone who knows me will tell you is likely to spontaneously manifest a soapbox if I really get going on it. That's right. It's time for the Hex Talk, or Hex Education, if you will. Yeah, the puns never stop. And special thanks to Rose Auriculum for suggesting the title of today's episode. I think it's perfect. Just a quick bit of housekeeping before we begin. For my listeners in Australia, New Zealand, and the South Pacific, I see you down there and I love you. I have really good news. Kindle Direct Publishing has finally opened a distribution hub in Australia, which means it just became a lot more affordable to purchase print copies of my work. I've been waiting for this for a long time, and it's been breaking my heart to see potential readers turned away by shipping costs. Damn you, Amazon. With a local distribution hub, it's now much easier to print and ship my books both to readers and to vendors. So, if you've been waiting to pick up a copy of Grove Daughter Witchery, The Sisters Grimoire, or Pestlework, or if you'd like to see my titles in your local bookstore, now's the time. Check your local Amazon affiliate site for listings or contact me at brainagarin at gmail.com to inquire about wholesale rates for vendors. If you're in the Richmond, Virginia area, I'll be at the Pride Witch Market at Diversity Richmond the weekend of June 13th with plenty of books, stickers, buttons, and other witchy goodies to sell. There will be lots of other vendors there, too, with a wide variety of goods and services to peruse, and the event organizers are requiring face coverings just for safety. So make sure you stop by to support the local pagan and LGBTQ communities. Remember, that's Diversity Richmond on Sherwood Avenue from 12 p.m. to 6 p.m. It's free to the public, and... This is actually my first time participating in Pride, and I'm really excited, so please do come out and say hi. Uh, visit the Facebook event page for full details. I will put a link in the show notes. Now, I promised all the way back in episode three that I'd be returning to this topic, that I'd talk about some of the actual mechanics behind Baneful Magic, how to hex responsibly, and some examples of the materials and methods you can use for your spells. If you haven't listened to episode three prior to this, you might want to go back and do that. 
I'm going to do a brief overview of magical ethics with respect to things like the threefold law before I get into the meat of things. But if you want a deeper dive, that's where you'll find it. Keep in mind going into this topic that I firmly believe that the choice of whether or not to use baneful magic is a purely personal one. Hello, title of the show. And also that every witch should at least study baneful magic, even if they never intend to use it. I'll explain why in a little bit. So that's going to be the basic attitude going into today's episode. Of course, if you're not interested in learning about baneful magic, or if you are ardently opposed to it, please feel free to skip this episode and join us again next month. I completely understand. Baneful magic is a controversial topic in the witchcraft community, to say the very least. If you've ever delved into it, you've probably come across the moral and ethical debates that occur around this subject. The viewpoints range from the hardcore reed thumpers who insist that every witch everywhere on every path must follow the threefold law and will flip an entire stack of wigs at you for suggesting otherwise all the way to dedicated hexsmiths who insist that they're doing nothing wrong and will jinx the pants off of someone at the slightest provocation, and everything in between. Most of the witches I know take a slightly more balanced approach. Somewhere in the neighborhood of either do no harm but take no shit, or, like me, they consider it a personal choice that every witch must make. If you haven't heard of the Threefold Law before, or if you're not clear on the details, we'll do a brief refresher real quick right here. Like I said, there's lots more detail in Episode 3, so if you'd like to pause and give that a listen first, please go right ahead. The Threefold Law, or Rule of Three, is a Wiccan concept which states that whatever a witch does with their magic will come back to them threefold. Somehow, this is rarely applied to good works in conversations about magical mechanics, and is really only trotted out when something less than friendly gets mentioned. As I mentioned back in episode 3, the idea of the rule of three, or the threefold law, as a law that specifically applies to witches is a fairly recent invention. The idea of hard and fast and very literal Reciprocal Ethics was based on Monique Wilson's interpretation of a general idea presented in Gardner's works and Gwen Thompson's Read of the Wiccai poem. Then this interpretation was expanded upon and popularized by Raymond Buckland, whose works went on to influence many of the more well-known names in modern pagan literature, including the rather infamous Silver Ravenwolf. So when you hear of this idea that the threefold law is a hard and fast universal law meant to apply to all witches everywhere, regardless of their path, it's basically because of that. A couple of people made one interpretation of a nebulous concept regarding reciprocal ethics based on a flawed understanding of karmic justice, and because they were popular, it stuck. This is not a cosmic mandate or universal constant. It's an ethical guideline that really only applies if you choose to adhere to it. And for more on why this is not remotely the same as karma, I'll refer you once again back to episode 3. 
Now, what qualifies as baneful magic varies between traditions, and I do use the term baneful very deliberately here, because to call helpful magic white and harmful magic black does have historically icky, read racist, connotations, and doesn't read well in the modern era. So I encourage the use of beneficial and baneful to describe these concepts instead. Some traditions hold that only spells meant to do direct and deliberate harm count as baneful. Others insist that any magic performed with the intention of interfering with another person or bending a situation to your will falls into a morally reprehensible area. And still others will tell you that any magic done for anything less than compassionate, altruistic, selfless motivations for the greater good, i.e. love and light, is baneful and therefore guaranteed to utterly ruin your life. Which smacks of some pagan brand of Christian purity rhetoric to me, but it's really leftover responses to the satanic panic and we don't have time to unpack all of that today. So, moving on. As you might expect, the moral and ethical conversations about baneful spells vary between traditions as well. It really all depends on what path you decide to follow, what your personal moral and ethical codes are, and what other witches you're associating with. Lots and lots of your mileage may vary. So, for the purposes of this conversation, we'll be paring the definition down to magic that is deliberately meant to do harm. Not just a less than friendly banishing, but a very pointed, very intentional, I am out to mess up someone's day kind of spell. Now, the first question most witches ask regarding baneful magic, whether they subscribe to Wiccan beliefs or not, is, will this come back on me if I do it? Will it have a negative effect on my life if I hex someone? And despite everything I've just said, the answer is yes. The potential for backlash does exist, just not on the exponential scale that the threefold law would have you think. There are ways to do these types of spells safely, or at least with minimal risk. And it should be said that if you're not willing to take a risk, you probably shouldn't be using baneful magic to begin with. As I've said before, all magic has a price, just as every mundane action has repercussions and consequences, so too do magical acts. If you're going to curse someone, you have to be prepared for and accept this. You can't throw metaphysical mud without getting your hands dirty. You just have to make sure that you wear gloves and wash your hands, metaphorically speaking. We'll get to how to do that in just a minute. But what are these consequences, if they're not as dire as some people say? Most of the price of magic, in my experience, is the caster's energy being spent to make the spell work. Often after spell work, I feel either a surge or a sudden loss of energy. Loss is more common. The surge, if I have one, will be brief and manic, and will be followed by a sensation rather like a sugar crash. I've heard similar things from other witches, enough for me to feel safe calling this a common occurrence. You might also have a run of bad luck. Nothing that's going to do permanent damage, but just enough to be noticeable. 
I've used my fair share of baneful magic in my time, and the worst thing I've had happen is accidentally locking my keys in my car the week after casting a particularly vicious hex aimed at an ex-employer. And to be fair, to be fair, this was back before I had my post-curse protection routine properly together, and it could just as easily be chalked up to pre-coffee absent-mindedness. The best way I can think of to explain how to use Baneful Magic safely is to walk you through the basic routine that I use for Baneful Spells. I said the basic routine, mind you, not the detailed description, I can't give all my secrets away. But this should give you an idea of how to put your spell together, what to do when you cast it, and how to mitigate any potential problems afterward. The basic process that I use is kind of an offshoot of my 10 steps for writing and casting your own spells, which you can check out in more detail in episodes 6 and 7. It goes a little something like this. 1. Establish the reasoning. 2. Set your intentions. 3. Gather your materials. 4. Set up your casting space. 5. Cleanse and protect. 6. Get good and angry. 7. Cast the spell. 8. Cleanse yourself and your space again. 9. Reinforce your protections again. And 10. Wait. So, let's get started with establishing your reasoning. This is usually pretty quick. If it's a minor annoyance that I'm reacting to, I will probably just let it go. You don't really need a hammer for a mosquito, just swat it away. No sense pulling out the proverbial big guns for every little perceived slight. But somebody harmed me or mine, or threatened to? Somebody's done something objectively cruel, with malice aforethought? Somebody's acting a fool and needs to be stopped before they hurt somebody? Big orange clown baby in the White House? Get the tables! The only time this might take a minute is when you feel like slinging a hex is a knee-jerk reaction to any personal slight, no matter how small. Generally, we don't need to throw punches if somebody forgets to hold a door or leaves a nasty comment on our social media. So if that's where your brain goes first, maybe just take a breath and consider the situation. Not so much for the moral or ethical ramifications, but simply whether the asshat in question is even worth your time and energy. Nine times out of ten, the answer is probably no. Of course, that's not to say you can't jinx their headphone cords to tangle or their coffee to spill on their expensive nude jacket. Sometimes a casual curse and malicious little inconvenience is enough to satisfy that itch for vengeance. Next, of course, you set your intentions. This is really no different from any other spell you'd set out to do. You decide what you want to do and what you want the spell to accomplish. With baneful magic, with cursing, you can actually get pretty specific, more so than some other kinds of spells might. For instance, with a luck spell, you might be looking to improve your finances in a general sense, or turn a situation to your advantage. Whereas with a curse, you might go directly to, I hope this jerk gets a flat tire, loses their keys, and spills coffee on their best suit on the day of the big business meeting. 
This is not to say that more general intentions don't happen with baneful magic. It's just that when a witch goes to cast a baneful spell, there's usually already a reason. It's usually reactive. It's in response to something that has already happened or is imminently threatening to happen. So since these spells are a lot more situational, they might tend to be a little more specific in their intentions. So consider this carefully when you think of what you want to accomplish and make sure you're not going to change your mind. If you're not sure if you can go through with cursing someone to begin with, this is where you stop. This is going to take some doing and getting cold feet midstream is not going to result in a successful casting. Also, consider if the situation really needs a baneful spell. Would a binding or a reversal or maybe a blessing on someone else accomplish your goals better? Is the situation something that will work itself out if left alone? Do you really need to throw this punch? If you feel like you do, then by all means come out swinging. But if there's maybe another route that would be equally or more effective, maybe explore that instead. Finally, consider the possible outcomes. If you cast this spell, what could conceivably happen? Are you prepared to live with the results and with the consequences? Because make no mistake, there will be both. And you will not be able to accurately predict every possible scenario of what could happen. In big ways or in small ones, somebody is going to get hurt. And there's a chance that some of that might fall on your head too. If that worries you or scares you, it's time to find another way to resolve the situation. If you're prepared to deal with it, then carry on. Real quick before we move into materials, I want to talk about accidental curses. This is something I see discussed a lot, particularly among newer witches or witches who haven't studied any kind of baneful magic or how it works. Lots of things like, I thought about cursing someone when I was mad, and then something bad happened to them. Does that mean that I cast a bad spell on them? Or, I put somebody's picture in a jar because we had a fight. Was that a curse? Basically, this idea that you can somehow magically sneeze and suddenly a curse comes out. This does not happen. Curses are acts of rage and intent and very very focused will, as we will discuss a little bit later. They do not happen accidentally. If you're doing a spell and you haven't actively set out to hurt someone, then it's not a curse. It might be a binding. It might be a backhanded blessing. It might have unintended consequences. But unless you have deliberately sat down and gone, yep, gonna curse somebody today, and then followed through with it, you didn't curse anybody. So once you've got your intentions sussed out and your goals set, it's time to gather your materials. Like most other spells, baneful magic can be done with just about anything or with nothing at all. And the materials you use will depend greatly on the type of baneful spell and the method of delivery or how you want the spell to reach its intended target. Some common materials include jars, pins and needles, thorns, chili peppers, string for binding, duct tape, black candles, eggs, 
lemon and lime juice, vinegar, urine, and of course, poppets. Obviously, there are lots more, and personal preference certainly plays a role, but these are some basics that should be fairly easy for you to get a hold of. This is a good time to talk about tag locks as well. If you're not familiar with the term, a tag lock is something that is included in a spell in order to connect the effects of the spell directly to a particular person. When you hear about including hair or fingernails or a photograph or a piece of paper with someone's name on it in a spell, that's a tag lock. You see them a lot in sympathetic magic, and not just for baneful purposes either. They show up in a goodly number of healing spells too. Now, you don't always need a tag lock for baneful spells. They certainly help, especially if you're working with a poppet and using sympathetic magic, but these things aren't always available. For instance, it's not likely that the jerkwad who egged your car is going to leave a convenient strand of hair and a calling card behind. So sometimes you have to go with mundane labels or attach the target's name to a particular situation. Some examples of this might include aiming a hex at whoever stole my wallet or whoever is responsible for this mess. There's actually a good example of this in Philippa Gregory's Cousins War series. Without giving anything away, two of the Woodville women lay a curse on whoever was responsible for the death of certain of their family members. They have no idea who it might be, but the idea is that the curse will manifest in such a way that the guilty party will be known by the losses they themselves will suffer. Which, of course, quickly gets out of hand because royal intrigue is a tangled web and multi-generational curses will inevitably end up hurting innocent bystanders because nobody can see all possible ends. Fantastic series, by the way, if you like historical fiction with a bit of artistic license. Anyway, like I was saying before, the type of curse you're going for will somewhat determine the materials you use. Jars, tape, and string are good for binding or entrapment. Citrus juices or vinegar to sour fortunes or relationship or life in general. Pins and thorns and sharp implements to cause pain. Chili peppers to cause discomfort and strife. Candles for focus and for sealing wax or for fire magic. You can bring in a cauldron or a burning bowl for this too, but it's generally better to have a bonfire or a brazier for baneful spells, since you don't want that energy lingering in your everyday tools. Raw eggs and urine and rotten fruit are good for when you just want someone's life to fall apart. And of course, poppets for sympathetic magic. And no, they are not voodoo dolls, even if you plan to stick them full of pins. Poppets are the open-source, free-use content. Voodoo is a closed practice, no matter how much other people may have appropriated and commercialized it. There are also loads of herbs that you can use for baneful magic. You can actually find a pretty decent listing of them in the back of Grove Daughter Witchery if you're interested. Again, these are just some examples to get you started. You can pretty much use anything your devious little mind can come up with. I've hecked somebody with a post-it and a pushpin before. It doesn't take much so long as you're focused and angry. We'll be back with more Hex Positive after this brief sponsored break. This episode is brought to you in part by Global Grey eBooks. 
Research is an important part of any witch's journey, but sometimes it's hard to find readily available information or classical sources. And who has the time to wade through stacks of dusty tomes these days? Fortunately for all of us, there's Global Grey eBooks, a free online archive of public domain literature. Curated by a single tireless archivist, this site offers so much more than your average eBook repository. The archive is curated into categories, fully searchable by topic, title, author, and keyword. And there are things here you've only ever heard about before. You can wade through the archive at your leisure, or for a small donation, you can download entire collections in one go. The books come in PDF, EPUB, and Kindle formats, and make excellent additions to a well-rounded digital grimoire. I highly recommend checking out the Occult Collection, as well as Mysteries and Secret Societies for lots of interesting and unusual works. You can check out the full archive at globalgrayebooks.com. Remember, this site is all the work of one person, and it runs on donations, so make sure you drop a few dollars in the tip jar or purchase a collection to help keep the content coming. I know my witches are going to want to check out titles like The Black Pullet and Culpepper's Complete Herbal and English Physician, but you can also find copies of foundational texts that help shape witchcraft as we know it today, such as the Gardnerian Book of Shadows, Leland's Aradia, Levi's History of Magic, and so many more. I've used this site dozens of times to find classical sources for my own research, both for personal projects and for this show, and I can't endorse it enough. Whether you're interested in the history of witchcraft or just looking to expand your library, visit Global Grey eBooks at www.globalgrayebooks.com. That's gray with an E for the best collection of free public domain eBooks a witch could want. This episode is brought to you in part by Portland Buttonworks. Do you like buttons? Of course you do. Have you ever had a great idea for one but just been like, darn it, if only I had the resources and equipment? Well, fret no more. Portland Buttonworks is just what you need. Portland Buttonworks creates custom pinback buttons in four different sizes, plus magnets, hand mirrors, and bottle openers. Download their templates and create your own designs, or use their Designomatic for quick formatting. You can order just a few custom items, or order in bulk for merch or big events. I've been getting buttons from Portland Buttonworks for years, and their quality is always top of the line. And this month, in honor of their ninth birthday, they're offering a special discount to my listeners. Just enter the promo code HEX at checkout for 9% off your order. And once you're done making your buttons, make sure you visit the PBW Witch Shop for a thoughtfully curated selection of witchcraft, magic, and occult-related zines. They've got books, buttons, tarot cards, and so much more. The collection has a refreshing emphasis on magic that relates to traditional and folkloric witchcraft, chaos magic, secular witchcraft, magical plants and herbs, queer witchcraft, witchcraft activism, and more there's a good chance that they have exactly what you're looking for. Visit the main Buttonworks at portlandbuttonworks.com and check out the Witch Shop and Zine Distro at pbwwitchshop.com. Remember to enter promo code HEX at checkout for 9% off your order. Help support small business and get your buttons from Portland Buttonworks. Fighting fascism one button at a time since 2012. This episode is brought to you in part by Crowsbone. 
Crow's Bone is a family-owned business with 20 years of experience in the study and practice of magic. Their selection combines carefully curated wholesale goods, unique secondhand finds, and handcrafted items from their home base. Peruse their excellent selection of books, home decor, spell components, and so much more. Make sure you check out their seasonal subscription packages and mystery boxes, as well as their range of personalized services and readings. While you're there, check out their working community survey, featuring a variety of voices from the witchcraft community and their library of free printables. You can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at The Crowsbone or on Tumblr at Crowsbone for regular updates and sales. And now is the perfect time to do it because the good people at Crowsbone are offering my listeners a 15% discount on their products and services. Just use the code HEXPOSITIVE at checkout. This offer excludes subscriptions. Refresh your witchcraft supplies and help support small business while you're at it. Visit Crowsbone.com and remember to use code HEXPOSITIVE at checkout for 15% off your order. Crowsbone, to thine own self be true. And now, back to the show. You'll want to think of how your spell is going to work, too. Does it stick directly to the target themselves? Does it affect people and circumstances around them? Does it work on its own, or will it snap in response to some future action? How long do you intend it to last? These are all things to consider while you're planning what you want to do. The clearer you can make that idea, the easier a time you'll have casting, and the better your spell is likely to work. I'd like to take a second to talk about target-triggered curses, because this is one of my favorite methods for setting a snare. Think of them like magical mousetraps. I mentioned before how most baneful spells are in response to something that's already happened or seems like it's about to happen. If you don't think that your spell will have much impact on the immediate situation, you can always defer it to a future date by adding a trigger. This is going to be something the target says or does, some behavior that is undesirable, that will then set off the effects of the spell. So long as they don't engage in that behavior, they'll be fine. Nothing will happen. But the second they mess up, down comes the hammer. This is very much a put a hand on me again and you won't get it back kind of mentality in spellcasting, and I highly recommend it. Once you've got your materials together, get everything assembled in your workspace. Most spells tend to work better when things go smoothly and you're not distracted or interrupted, and I find this is particularly true of baneful magic. If you're looking to mess up someone's day, you need to focus, and searching for components at the last second isn't exactly going to help. Make sure you have all those pesky fire hazards out of the way, and plenty of room to work in if you're doing something elaborate. And if you're not working with someone else, choose a place without other people in it. Not so much from a risk of some kind of magical splash zone, as they pose a significant risk of distraction. Next, cleanse yourself and your space, however you usually do it, and reinforce whatever protections you have in your home. You do have those up already, right? If not, put them up. Before you get started. This step is very important. Remember how I talked about throwing metaphysical mud earlier? This is you putting on the gloves before you go a-hurlin'. 
Oh, quick note on timing, because I know that's going to come up during your research. There's sort of a default in witchcraft literature that says the new moon or the dark of the moon is the only appropriate time for baneful magic. Well, the books that discussed baneful magic to begin with beyond telling you to stay the heck away from it. My guess is that this is an offshoot of the dark of the moon being the time for secrets and working with hidden things. It's a pretty easy connection to make. I mean, if you're working magic outdoors and you don't want to get caught, a moonless night is going to provide decent cover. But if you're anything like me, you probably have at least a little difficulty keeping track of moon phases, sometimes only knowing what phase the moon is in by finding out about it the next day. Cue the swearing. The good news is you can actually do these spells at any time, day or night. Really, you can do any spell at any time of day or night, since magical timing can only enhance your working and does not detract from it. I have sort of an outside-the-box way of looking at lunar magic and timing, and if you'd like to learn more about it, I'll direct you once more back to episodes 6 and 7. So, last step before the actual casting, and your last chance to exit if you change your mind. You need to get good and angry. Not blind foaming rage, keep your heads witches, but a good, strong, smoldering fury. Something that gets your blood up and your fists clenching and those fingernail claws happening. Me personally, I like to read a certain passage from the Scottish play that begins, Come, you spirits that tend on mortal thoughts to get in the right frame of mind. If you need to revisit whatever made you angry, do it. If you need to listen to some angry music, do it. Actually, angry music is great hex fuel. Music to hex by playlists are fantastic. Just make sure you can summon up that energy because that's what's going to power the spell. So however you can get it there, do it. Then let her rip. Do whatever it is you plan to do and make sure you hold your intentions, your target, and your anger firmly in mind while you work. Channel all of that into whatever object or visualization is the focus of your spell. And push, I mean really push, your will into the working until it's done. While you're doing the casting, you can call on whatever spirits or deities you work with that you think might be inclined to help you, if that's something you want to do. Just make sure you're not asking anyone that's going to ask for a price you can't pay in exchange for their help. Make sure you clean up afterward and immediately cleanse again and reinforce your protections. This will help to mitigate any countermeasures or potential backlash that might come your way. You never know if your target might have something in place that would cause problems for you, or if circumstances are such that your spell just doesn't work the way you planned. So it's best to prepare for that and make sure that you've taken precautions on your end. Of course, the quick and dirty version of this on the go is a fast personal cleansing on the spot, beefing up your personal wards and having at it with the understanding that you're going to have a good shower when you get home. Once you've cleaned up, cleansed, and protected, make sure you record what was done. Type of spell, target, the desired outcome, 
date of casting minimum. Write it down somewhere. You're going to want to refer back to that later on so you can see how well it worked. Uh, pro tip, don't put it where someone else is going to find it. That's a headache you don't want. Trust me, though, few things are as satisfying as watching a hex that you put out there bite someone squarely in the ass. It's better than chocolate. Almost better than chocolate-covered bacon. It's close. You're probably going to be pretty tired after performing Baneful Magic. I know I always want to just flop down on the couch and take a nap. Anger is exhausting, and spellcasting is tiring on top of it. Take some time to rest and hydrate once you've got everything squared away, and you should be just fine. Now, despite the risks and the reed thumpers, I do recommend that all witches, regardless of their path of study, learn about baneful magic as part of their magical education. And the reason for this is very simple. Safety. If you don't know what poison ivy looks like, you might not recognize it if it's growing in your garden. If you don't know how to drive defensively, you might not know how to react to a dangerous situation on the road. If you don't understand baneful magic, you won't have a full idea of how to protect yourself from it. Oh sure, there are plenty of spells out there that talk about general protection, but since turning and counter magic and scapegoats and binding spells can all be considered baneful depending on which witch book you read, you might not be getting the full picture. Despite what some people in the community will tell you, there's a very good chance that you could go your entire career as a witch without ever having a baneful spell aimed at you personally. But it never hurts to be prepared. If you think you've been hexed or jinxed or cursed or what have you, the best thing to do straight out of the gate is cleanse and protect. And I mean that for both yourself and your space. You can bathe with intent as a sort of simple self-cleansing ritual, or you can use smoke or sound or light, whatever works for you. Your space should also be cleansed just as a precaution. And in these cases, I do recommend the entire home if you can manage it, if you live in a house. If you live in a dorm or an apartment, just the space that you own or occupy is fine, though it doesn't hurt to maybe scatter a little salt in front of your door or put up a protection charm in the form of a front door decoration or a wreath or something like that. And once you've cleansed, refresh whatever protections you have in place for yourself and your home. This is pretty much the same procedure I recommend for after you've used Baneful Magic yourself. It serves to dislodge and sweep away anything lingering. I find that Baneful magic spells can sometimes have a sort of sticky feeling to them in the metaphysical sense. Kind of like muddy cobwebs, if that helps you to visualize what you're removing. Now, this is a general precaution if you think you've been hexed. If you know you've been hexed and you happen to know who did it, there are further steps that can be taken. There are counter spells, mirror spells, and so on, but we'll cover those in more detail another time. 
The one technique I do want to elaborate on before we go is creating a scapegoat because I think that that's something every witch should know how to do regardless of their path. A scapegoat is a puppet that you make to represent yourself that's going to absorb and nullify incoming bad luck or magical harm. They're fairly easy to make, and they do last for a good while if you take care of them. What you'll want to do is make or acquire a cloth poppet. And yes, I do recommend a cloth one for this project. Attach a personal tag lock to the poppet, some of your hair or a fingernail clipping or whatever you like. Or if you prefer, you can just name the poppet for yourself. Either way, in the magical sense, this poppet now represents you. If you wish, you can add hex-breaking herbs or protective charms to the poppet or anoint it with oils and potions, whatever you want to do to protect yourself in effigy. Just be aware as you're doing it that this poppet is made to be broken. You're going to try and preserve it to some extent, sure, but ultimately it is supposed to break. The poppet breaks so you don't have to. So don't feel like you have to be too fancy with it. Once you have your scapegoat, you'll want to keep it somewhere that's hidden, but not somewhere where it's going to be buried or get lost. I highly recommend keeping it in a drawer or on a closet shelf. If the poppet ever tears or falls apart or disappears, then you'll know it's done its job and it's time to make a new one. And you can have multiple scapegoats if you want. Or you can attach multiple protection spells to one scapegoat. It doesn't really matter how you do it or how often you have to remake them. They work for as long as they're meant to. Sometimes that's a good while, and sometimes it's not very long at all. It depends on how much protection is needed at the time. Just to wrap things up, I just want to reiterate, make sure that you keep track of your spells. Even just a little notation somewhere of what you did and when can be very helpful, so long as it's not going to get you in trouble or give you away. With baneful spells, you might not see the results for a while if you see them at all, so it's good to be able to see how long it's been. As for why your spells might not work, well, that's a subject for another day. And do keep in mind that if there's someone that you've been meaning to hex, sometimes just letting them think that you've hexed them is hex enough in itself. So, that does it for this month's episode. I promised you a hex talk, and I gave you the hex talk. I hope this clears up a few more things about baneful spells and the process of casting them. If you want to try it sometime, I'd say go ahead. Do your due diligence and just understand, like I said, that all magic has a price. Also, it's okay to make mistakes and have things get a little messy, because sometimes that's the only way to learn. So, if you do a spell and it comes out strange, or there's unexpected consequences, or things just straight up go to shit, take it as a learning experience. Until next time, I'm Brina Garen, reminding you to stay safe, keep wearing your mask, get vaccinated if you can, and remember, even if you can't fly your rainbow flag outright, you are valid, you are loved, and you matter. 
always be proud of who you are, because Witchling, I am proud of you. Hex Positive is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network. Check out everything they have to offer, including our sibling podcast, BS Free Witchcraft, over at nerdandtie.com. Intro and outro music by Kevin McLeod. For all the latest updates, follow at hex underscore podcast on Twitter. You can also follow me at at Brina Garin on Twitter and Instagram. For more information on my books, you can check out my WordPress and my Amazon author page. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Stay safe, wash your hands, and remember, always practice safe hex.